exploring faith, spirituality and community. This is the podcast for you. The Methodist Church in Northamptonshire. This is One Voice. Hello. Thanks for being with us. All of this to follow. Stillness, quietness and reflection. Are you able to find the time and the space to just be and examine your relationship with faith in a way that genuinely benefits you and how you view God. And I'm about to ask, have you ever considered a retreat? The Retreat Association is a national ecumenical Christian organisation and are going to be part of this episode. They'll be talking through what it means to be on one of their retreats and to deepen your faith through spirituality and prayer. Supportive, helpful, a fantastic resource, freedom, possibility and self-acceptance are just some of the ways in which the retreats have been described. They'll be with us soon. Also, what could this be about? I've cut out a load of pillowcases and we've cut them into shapes of heads and we're going to stuff those so they'll be available. Stay with us and all will become clear. There's also some information coming your way about the Pentecost services. And Pam Kirkland dips into coffee time chat. The One Voice Podcast. Promoting and encouraging retreats and Christian spirituality across the denominations has been the work of the Retreat Association since the late 1980s. But the birth of organised retreats began in 1917 with its origins in the Anglican Association for Promoting Retreats. Alison McTeer is the Executive Director of the Retreat Association and begins by explaining how the need for retreats was identified and that not all of our faith journey needs can be met in church. Yes, I mean, it's an interesting question, isn't it? The idea that um, this is something that isn't necessarily um, totally satisfied by church, but is kind of um, alongside and beyond it. So I wouldn't say... The, I, mean, I don't think the two the two should sit together, um, but retreat is is definitely beyond that. And I think we only need to look at the gospel stories um, and the way that Jesus withdrew to a quiet place, um, and that was outside of his worship in the synagogue. Um, so there is something that complements the church, but is also kind of above and beyond it, um, and has been going for a very long time. The, the Desert Fathers lived a very reclusive life intentionally. They withdrew and had very physically demandingly tough lives um, in order to focus on prayer. And and they began only a few hundred years after Christ. And, and then if we look at the main Christian spiritualities that exist, um, for example, Benedictine, Ignatian, and so on, um, they all have silence and stillness at their heart, um, and and this often necessitates withdrawing from day-to-day activities. So it, it's it's something that's been around for a long time, and um, I think we'll all, we'll always be that relationship with the church to complement it, but to also be kind of above and beyond it. Yes, quite, and uh, I suppose underneath the 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 kind of overarching statement that I just mentioned, we, we just sort of opened up with. There are these, and again, they're on the website, half a dozen or so uh, core aims. 
why do they help underpin that that bigger picture and, and, and I guess, work with it? Yes, I, I guess our aim at the Retreat Association is to find ways of enabling people to go on retreat or to find that that relationship with God, to deepen that personal relationship with God, which can only really be done on an individual basis um, in order to discover, you know, our true purpose, our true calling, which is unique to everybody. And so as an organization, as a Christian organization, we do what we can to kind of help people clear that space um, so that they can um, they can have their own experience of this deepening of relationship with God. So that might be helping them to find a retreat, um, helping to support the ministry of retreat centers through spiritual direction, through resources, through events, and also through training and good practice when it comes to offering spiritual direction or indeed offering retreats. So we're trying to kind of underpin the whole ministry in the role of facilitating and really to try and put this in front of people in a straightforward way. And the Retreat Association has three uh, denominational groups as part of it. Could you just briefly give us a sense of who they are and and, and ultimately what the the, the necessary diversity of, of thought and approach is that, that they bring? The denominational groups that currently make up the Retreat Association are Anglican, Catholic and Methodist. Um, historically, we were made up of six denominations, um, but some of those groups have unfortunately had to fold or go their own way, just symptomatic of our times, really. Um, but the, the ecumenical dynamic of our organisation is, is really important uh, because not only does it um, make us more diverse, but also I think we bring more people into our membership and also into having an interest in retreats through different denominations uh, because historically people often felt only comfortable to associate with something that was um, run by their own denomination. Although nowadays I would say there's more of an ecumenical approach, but nonetheless to have that diversity of approach, each of those groups brings their own history, their own approach, their own gifts, um, and it makes it a much richer experience and, and a much more broad experience for everybody involved. Geographically, I assume there's a, a, a wide spread, is there, Alison, of, of the retreats? You know, sort of where are they? They're really all over the country and beyond. There's a range of different retreat centres in terms of their size and their surroundings, their approach, their uh, rhythm of life, as it's often called, um, their programme, their cost. Uh, really, there's, it's a bit like choosing a, a guest house or a hotel. You know, there are going to be lots of different aspects to consider. And at the moment, we list over 150 centres in our retreats handbook. And so hopefully there's something for everybody and to meet all, all needs. I suppose then that uh, retreat pathway, somebody books on, uh, they attend. How, how different then is their spell of time with you compared with what I suppose we might deem to be a normal life or day-to-day life? Yes, I think that aspect of going on retreat is is not to be underrated you know that the sense of withdrawing from day-to-day activities is 
a really important part of going on retreat. Again, taking the example of Christ, getting away from people either by getting on the Lake Galilee or withdrawing to to the mountains. And that sense of if you're not surrounded by your day-to-day distractions, you, you've got a clearer mind to focus on God and on on your relationship with God. I mean, it is possible to retreat in your own house, in your own space, and particularly during lockdown, of course, everybody had to do that if they wanted to to go on retreat. And, and there were a number of different online retreats offered. The best way really is, is to withdraw and because then, you know, try as you might, you'll always be distracted by something at home. You know, you'll think of some job you need to do around the house or the telephone might ring or a neighbor might call or whatever. And, mm. you know, important as these activities are, it's very difficult to separate yourself from them without doing so physically. The settings of which we've spoke briefly about, they obviously have a, an important part to play. They're inherent to it because you know, many are beautiful buildings, gardens, etc. So the setting is a key consideration. I'm, I'm guessing it has a tremendous impact on the outcome of the retreat. Yes, I think setting is important you know, for the reasons I've described. Um, and, and often retreat centres are in, in the most beautiful, glorious countryside settings, but not also to devalue those that are uh, kind of oases in the city, of which there are quite a number. I think there's a sense in which a place of prayer becomes an oasis no matter what its surroundings. And of course, it is inhabited by a prayerful community who uh, think very carefully about the environment they're creating and will do a lot to create, for example, prayer spaces and an atmosphere that is conducive to meeting God. So yes, often they're in, in wonderful surroundings, but I would not discount also those that are based in the city, because they have their own unique character of actually being alongside people and being a, a kind of a beacon, if you like, in, in an urban landscape. I'm fascinated to learn of uh, the outcomes. If you could give us a, a bit of a sense, Alison, of the kinds of things people say once they've been to a, a retreat. Uh, my experience of that is that um, most people who have been on retreat will want to go back. Sometimes it's just that getting over the threshold, which is the most difficult thing for people to overcome. And I think it's quite understandable because after all, it is a place about, you know, it's an unknown factor. But once people have decided to go on retreat, they often do continue to return and, and many make a retreat regularly, at least once a year, for example. I mean, I've heard people talking about the life-changing, transforming impact of, of their time on retreat, you know, something that it changes them and their outlook for life in some ways. And I, I don't think that is an ex- exaggeration. And in fact, perhaps might be what you expect, given that this is, you know, an environment in which to focus on God and, and your relationship with God at in a way, if we believe in our faith, one would it you know you kind of hope that that something would be transforming about that around that time. The idea of no formalized structure is essentially sort of underpins, I suppose, uh, many of the retreats. But equally, others can address very specific themes. Why why is it important to to offer that then? 
it's important to, to have that range of retreat. I mean, if we were to go back to the original example I cited of the Desert Fathers, there would probably really be only one kind of experience, which would be a lot of prayer and silence and, and as I say, sort of a, a physically quite challenging way of life, which was their choice. Um, but nowadays, of course, there, there is a full range of choices and anything from going away to kind of pursue a hobby in an environment of, of Christian spirituality. So you might go away and paint or you might do photography or you might look at a, a particular book. And then there are retreats, for example, to reflect the Christian year. So obviously Lent or Advent retreats. And then there's a type of retreat where you essentially go and do your own thing or where you, which is individually guided, where you meet with a guide every day. I do think that the range is important because everybody has is looking for something different. And also, I think we all experience different needs at different stages of our lives. So, you know, in my life, I might have thought, oh, I, you know, I really want to go away and experience Easter on retreat. And then other times I might think, well, I just want to go in, just talk to somebody every day and the rest of the time is mine. And in the same way, our, our faith journey is not hopefully static, it, it moves. Um, and so, uh, you know, a retreat is designed to kind of go with that flow and to encourage that movement. And the idea of spiritual direction sounds immensely interesting. How, how would you char characterize that connection between someone who has gone on the retreat and a spiritual director or, or guide, I suppose? I mean, spiritual direction is, is quite a formalized term. And I know some people, it can be a little bit off-putting, the idea of the word director, and does sound, sound quite formal. But essentially, spiritual direction is a way of reflecting on God's presence in our lives with the help of somebody else who's usually trained to do so, uh, called a spiritual director or mentor or guide. And so in the same way that going away physically on retreat helps to deepen our relationship with God. The same thing happens when we meet with a spiritual director and it's a three-way relationship. There's the person seeking direction, um, there's the director and there's God. But really the, the role of the director is, is simply to walk alongside and to listen and to offer insights for the journey. And so it, it is similar to retreat in that it, it allows the person the space to develop their relationship with God. And that's why spiritual direction is often a component of going away on retreat as well. I assume that takes a, a reasonable amount of training to, to, to be that director, Alison. Yes. And I mean, there's a number of different training courses offered up and down the country. Many of them may take one or two years, um, often studied in the evening, uh, but some are also involved daytime training. So um, anybody that was interested in training, we can send you a list of courses that are available in your area and and then you can take that up with with the course leader um but it, there's certainly a, a lot of interest which is really good because the more people that are able to take this role you know the more people will you know enjoy the, the uh, privilege of, of being in this kind of relationship it seems like a a very good point now to uh, mention the uh, retreats that are, I suppose, imminent. Here we are, we're recording this in uh, May. What can people book onto that's sort of fairly soon that they can look forward to? Well, the Retreat Association um, is organising an event, um, an annual event. We hold a summer event and um, 
So we've got one such day coming up on the 23rd of June, which is in London at the Royal Foundation of St. Catherine. And our guest speaker is is Richard Carter, uh, who is the uh, Associate Vicar for St. Martin in the Fields and works with a lot of homeless people and refugees and has founded a community of people who seek God in contemplation uh, in their everyday lives. So we're very much looking forward to Richard coming to speak. And there are still tickets available to join us on that day and also join us online on that day. So I would encourage anybody that is interested to come along. Uh, in addition to Richard speaking, it's just an opportunity for people to meet and for the Retreat Association to to talk about its current activities and, and just hopefully a, a day of inspiration, some worship and prayer and just something that we hope will inspire people um, for the journey ahead. It's a really excellent website, so well laid out and designed and so much information detail on there. Obviously, that's uh, somewhere where you can uh, garner more about uh, the retreats and booking on them, which is retreats.org.uk. Um, Alison McTeer, thank you ever so much for telling us all about the Retreat Association. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you very much for asking me to, to chat to you today. Now, as you may be aware, there's a thriving Methodist church community in Harpole in Northamptonshire, and just doors away from the church there is where I met up with someone who's going to tell you why the village is poised to become this hub of creative residents and bustling tourists. But first, it's time to delve into Coffee Time Chat, as ever, presented by Pam Kirkland. Sheila Howard reports on a milestone in the life and witness of Catherine Jones, who's just completed 40 years service in the Girls' Brigade Company at Kingsthorpe. This is what Sheila said. Some of you may know that Dave and I are Girls' Brigade chaplains for the 5th Company here in Kingsthorpe. We offer to support to staff, parents and girls, whether that is in the form of prayer, helping out whenever necessary, or attending various landmark occasions. A week last Tuesday, Dave and I were invited to Girls' Brigade to commemorate such a landmark occasion. Catherine Jones has been a Girls' Brigade leader for 40 years. She wore her original uniform, which she enjoyed very much, particularly the hat. She looked very smart. I was in awe, but not surprised, that she fitted back into the outfit after quite a few years. Catherine talked to the girls about the ups and downs over those 40 years, reminding us that through all the times in our lives, both happy and sad, our Lord God is always with us. Inevitably, there was cake. Delicious it was too. Catherine, we commend you for your hard work, dedication and commitment throughout those 40 years. We know you are instrumental in the success of Fifth Company, along with your dedicated team. Thank you for all you have done, are doing, and hopefully will continue to do in the future to promote the establishment of Christ's kingdom amongst girls. From the Methodist Church in Northampton, this is the One Voice podcast. Now, if you're looking to attend a Pentecost service, there are two at St Andrews on Harston Road on Sunday the 28th 
of May. There's 9am to 10am and 11 until 12. The 9am service will have activities for children. Everyone is welcome to have tea and coffee between the services. That's Sunday the 28th of May at St Andrew's Church on the Harleston Road. Some news now from the district Facebook page. And in there, there's a link to the monthly Eco Tips. Some really great suggestions in there to enhance our connection to the great outdoors, including planting chives and other herbs to attract bees and butterflies when you let them flower, and to leave an area of grass just a little bit longer to allow wildflowers to flourish. There's also a link on there to how you can help children engage with nature. That's the district Facebook page. I think, you know, it's always good to know what's going on in the community outside of church that we can support and enjoy. And September in Harpole can mean only one thing. Let's meet Sharon. This is One Voice. So the 9th and the 10th of September is obviously the Harpole Scarecrow Festival incorporating Crowfest, which we will come on to. Um, Big year for the festival, 25 years. So the theme is happy anniversary. How does that then work into a, a theme? Um, so we decided, we thought long and hard this year, but 25 years is quite a long time. Um, so we decided to, to go with anniversaries. There are so many anniversaries this year that are out there. Disney is 100. Um, we've got James Bond is 70 years. NHS 75 years, Marvel Studios 30 years, Superman is 85 this year. So if you search, there are so many anniversaries, plus, you know, normal anniversaries that everybody has. So we thought, well, you know, anything goes. It sounds like it, yeah. So you can have a, I don't know, a scarecrow in a tuxedo or a doctor's outfit. You can. Um, Doctor Who, he's 60. Um, and Jurassic Park, 30 years. Got my 12-year-old son there straight away with that. Um, the the standard, and I've driven through the village before, the standard is always very high. I'm guessing very competitive as well. So there must be some long-standing rivalries in the village. Yes, there are. We have uh, Mr. Ian Mockett, who has done um, some great ones in the past at the top of Sandy uh, School Lane. He um, He's done big Jurassic Park. He's done interactive He's having people move around, mazes, Harry Potter. He's He really spends some time on it. And then we've got the up-and-coming young families that um, Matur, he gives him a run for his money. And last year, again, it was somebody completely different. So depends on how creative they're feeling. Well, quite. I was going to ask you actually next about displays that have either impressed you or created a stir in the, in the village or beyond. But it sounds like those have anything else that kind of came out of nowhere and and caught your imagination or shocked you um last year there was a uh, an elephant that actually sprayed water at the um passers-by so that went down that was the one that won i believe um so we've also had a jedi the big star wars thing that was howled above attack yeah is it something like that so we've had that um they get really creative. Some of them are based around the, the scarecrows themselves and they actually can look like real pe- people. Um, and some of them are the props that go with them. So. Presumably some Charles and Camilla scarecrows, maybe. Maybe, maybe, yes, maybe this year. So typically what sort of, of materials get used 
And and when in the year would somebody start? I mean, presumably this takes a, a lot of planning for the makers. It does. So we start, I started just about around about Christmas. Um, scarecrows could be made out of anything. So um, we have access to hay and straw um, closer to the time. We are also, I've cut out a load of pillar cases and we've cut them into shapes of heads and we're going to stuff those so they'll be available. We will also, the youth club will be making paper mache heads. So they will be available for residents to come and grab a head. And then it's the bodies that they have to stuff. So you can use pillows, you can use duvets, you can use straw, you can use um, old newspaper, anything you like. And there are some, some workshops to, I suppose, the kind of how-to. Yes, we're hopefully going to have a workshop at the NIV um, with uh, Harpole Creative and cra- Harpole Crafting. And we're going to just invite people along to have a drink and decorate their heads or find some ideas, find some inf- inspiration. Presumably throughout the festival, all those taking part, nobody has birds in their garden. Well, I don't know. There seems a lot around. We have had some visiting owls and we've had some visiting birds of prey that come visit, but I don't know about the smaller birds. They might have. But they're not really that scary. <laughs> Friendly scarecrows. Yes. Friend crows. Yes, yeah. And and the judging there, how does that, is that a bit like the classic sort of, you know, you see it at uh, country fairs where, you know, the judges walk around at different stalls and they make, you know, uh, deliberations and mark. Is that how it works for judging the, the scarecrow? No, no. Um, we leave it to the public. So the public have to vote. Their programme that they get when they can come into the village um, gives them a chance to vote and they vote for their favourite scarecrow and that's the one that wins. There are usually prizes. They're, they're usually cash prizes um, and they haven't been determined yet, but hopefully that um, there'll be a nice, nice... It's probably not the same sort of money they spend on making them, to be fair. But, um, yeah. It goes some way. It goes some way. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I I had no idea that a music festival, Crowfest, was part of Festival Weekend, I think now for the third year, is that right? So, I mean, what made you all decide that live gigs, live music should be part of it as well? I think... People have wanted to do it for a long time um, and it's it's one of those things that can we do it? Do we have the volunteers to do it? It's an extra, it's a big, it's a big ask both for the festival and the Crowfest. Um, Abby came along and it was really her, her baby and she really pushed for it and went for it and it was such a success that people want to come again. So that's what we've done and it's bigger and better this year. We've got three bars this year. They are White Room, we've got Boomin and Pure Genius. And we've got Stillwalker and a Fire Breather. There'll be Bounce Castles, food, drink. Um, so it's a really good night. Abby can't be with us uh, to talk specifically about Crowfest, but so I'll kind of put you on the spot, I suppose. What are the, the considerations for, you know, an outdoor live music festival? What sort of dictates the, the style of bands? I, I... I think it's... Um, what has worked the first time we did it we had one band they played their music and then it's what people like what um i think pure genius have played at the at the live at the pub so they were known and it's it's sort of we've had bands visit us in the village and they get sort of that reputation and say do you want to come back for this and they love it and we do get a lot of bands that want to do the crow fest some some bands haven't done an outdoor 
music festival before and I love it. And we should say now that the uh, the Scarecrow Festival's Facebook page has uh, a link to Eventbrite, so you can get tickets now for September. Yes, you can. Yes, they have been released and they are value for money. Um, you will never be, get three barrels for the price of £10 anywhere. And it is, it's a great night. The figures are amazing. Um, 10,000 people roughly visit the village or have over the, the festival weekend. And there's an open-top bus tour as well. Through what? Yes, we have. That bus has been coming for a long time. Um, well, for as long as I've been involved in it, but too long to mention the years. But um, yeah, it goes around the village, along the A45, back up through the village, and it does the loop. And there's always a queue. Um, and it, you need to get to sit on the on the top of the bus. And it's, it's great. The kids love it. Everybody waves as you go through the village. And also you get to see what's going on. So, because the village is small, but if you're walking around it on a Saturday afternoon, there's lots of other little streets, so the bus gives you an idea of what's where. That heights, don't you, maybe? Mm. So, yeah. I suppose it's either that or helicopter tours, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> but it's travel. Yeah. And, and do you, I suppose, lastly, do you sort of try and uh, expand every year, or is it difficult to sort of, you know, just to kind of keep up with what happened the previous year? I think it's down to the committee. So the committee come on board. They have their own ideas of what they want to do, where they want to take it. Um, this year, we're hoping to have a dog show so um, and some animals visiting. That always is a big draw for the children. There's lots of ideas floating around at the moment. And I don't want to put them out there in case they don't come to fruition. But there are... And it depends on how many people get on board. If you get lots of people on board, the excitement grows, everybody's pitching in and we can do more stuff. Everything's crossed for the good weather on the weekend. It does dictate it, so. Of course. Yeah. Thank you to Sharon and our best to all the organisers and participants in the Harpole Scarecrow Festival. Time's up on this episode, I'm afraid. Next time... What was it like to be part of the King's Coronation? It's one of our fascinating stories to look forward to. Until then, take care. <laughs>